and welcome to another manopause.com podcast. This is our Manipod. Today, our special guest is Brandon Steiner. Now, he's been a salesman for over 50 years, from turning his paper into his, uh, his paper route into a certifiable business to changing the face of memorabilia. He spent most of his entire life uh, perfecting the ideals of customer service from establishing himself as the foremost paper boy in Brooklyn at the age of 10 to monetizing dirt. So interesting how you monetize dirt. Well, Brandon is the only guy we know who sold over $60 million worth of dirt from Yankee Stadium to ballparks all over the United States. Welcome, Brandon. You are, you are a, a true menopause man because you're an author, you're an entrepreneur, you're a businessman, you are, uh, you're just about everything and you have the biggest collectible items uh, collection in the United States and probably all over the world, right? I mean, we're getting there. I mean, um, in this next phase of what I've been doing, I, I have every intention of having the largest collectible site in the world uh, that's extremely fan friendly, that's got the most diverse amount of collectibles and that's Collectible Exchange, which, you know, be honest with you, I'm going after eBay's business. It's <laughs> a site that you can actually sell your stuff. So we're collaborating with some of the greatest collectors on the planet to put their stuff up on our site. And so far, so good. But I have created a lot of collectibles over the years. And I have sold a lot of dirt. Uh, the margins are phenomenal, by the way. I just want to <laughs> mention that. But I've sold a lot of grass. I was way ahead of the grass thing before anybody else. Now it's all legal and everything else. But I've sold more grass than anybody that's listening to this show uh, but legally i would lift the grass up from the fields at the stadiums and i'd freeze dry it and i would uh you know i would sell these little nice little pieces of grass i've taken up turf from many stadiums so i am a leader of selling grass although i'm sure at this point with all the marijuana and grass being sold around the country i'm sure that that record's going to get broken but it's pretty darn good to be able to take some grass and sod and be able to monetize that and I did that when I, when I bought the Yankee Stadium, when they built a new one, I had picked up the grass and that's what really got me going on selling grass. And I started doing it all over the country with different ballpark, you know, turf and grass. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's an interesting, you know, job, profession, you know, passion. How in the world did, did that come to you and say, there's a lot of money to be made in collectibles and I'm getting into it? You know, it's a good question. I, you know, I, I I was all over the place. You know, I, I mean, I, I don't want to give you the wrong impression, but I was so damn confused because I always thought I was going to be a restaurateur. You know, I, I cooked most of my way through school, uh, full-time in college. I wanted to work for Hyatt Hotels. I, I worked in a training program for three years, opened up the first Hard Rock in New York City. Was assistant wow. general. I, I thought my career was going to be in hospitality. I was I, I, somebody who loved serving people, which I think is such a key ingredient in, in life and in business to be able to serve people. And I, I love the restaurant business, the family aspect of it, the comfort. But you know, I, I was at a loss. I was like, I don't know. I didn't know what the hell I was going to do. I, I realized that the restaurant thing wasn't going to work for me, even though I had reached a pretty high point. I was only twenty-seven, and I really had a great run already. But I, I thought there was something uh, calling for me to do something else. And, and the sports business, you know, when you, people don't realize, like, the sports business only really started getting rolling in the 90s. Was that, you know, I got in the sports business. 
I mean, it took me like five years to convince my mother-in-law that the sports thing was actually a business. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, so, you know, being an entrepreneur sounds sexy when it works, but, you know, in the early stage of entrepreneurism, people know the pain and, and suffering you go through in convincing and the ups and downs. And I really didn't know. I, I, I was a marketer. I, I started my sports marketing company, which I still do this day, you know, marketing athletes and open companies, small, all kinds of weird companies, particularly companies that were not into sports, using sports as a platform to help them grow their companies. Steel, iron, electric, magazine business. I would get them athletes to help, you know, do appearances and market them. And what ended up happening was I, I just wasn't making enough money. You know, I came home one day, my wife's like, I think you better go start maybe another career. Like, I don't think it's going to work. <laughs> Which is really a bagel crazy. or something like that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, when you think about it, like, you know, you think about the kind of money athletes make now off the field. But back then, you know, you, you know, a Magic Johnson was $5,000, you know, George, you know, these it was just not anywhere near what it was. And I was really doing a lot of volume of booking a lot of players. If you talk to any older players, they all know me. I was booking hundreds and thousands of appearances a year. And I came home, my wife's like, you better find something to do. Because how were you, how were you not making money? Cause you had to have gotten a cut of that. How are you not yeah. making money with that but kind of money? You got, you got a, you know, a thousand appearances at $5,000, $2,000, $1,000 appearance, and you're making 20%. You oh, put some yeah. overhead in there and everything yeah. else. It's, it's not a lot of money. And most yeah. of those appearances were a thousand, 2,500 bucks. You know, people weren't spending the six figures that they quickly spend now on athletes. Right. So when I got to that point and my wife was like, you know, I may be better think about another career. I, I started that company with 4,000 bucks. I took 10,000 out of the bank and I was really nervous. I mean, it was like, I didn't have a lot of money in the bank. It was almost everything. And I went to work and I came up with this idea that I was going to go and take the 10,000. I was going to get some balls and some footballs and some things. And I would have it as an added value. So you'd book, I'd go book Roger Staubach or Franco Harris at the time and in order to book them, you'd want to maybe buy some footballs for me. You'd want to buy some baseballs and have them sign them. And then the guys would sign a few extras for me. So I would send them out to clients and I would sell them on the side to make some extra money. Hmm. That was the initial thing that the whole collectible thing was an added value to my, my B2B play. You know, I, you book a player with me. We were, at a, we were at a trade show. You'd have some collectibles to give away, raffle off, that kind of thing. I had no idea that my brain was going to go crazy. And I was going to come up with all these ideas about, you know, this whole collectible and really just taking what was a hobby. I was always a collector, but not, you know, and, and really making it into an industry. I don't recommend it for anybody, those of you listening. <laughs> I don't think like, you know, starting an industry or really develop, because there really is a lot more give than to get. You know, you, you, you're always much better being an improver than an inventor. I understood the responsibility once I realized I hit something. And I had the support behind me. I realized that I had something special, but then you got to start doing things as a leader that help the industry or help the business, even sometimes more than it helps yourself. So when you're an industry leader, you got to make sure that you're, you're, you're taking on your role and you're making things better than when you found it. And a lot of times those things and the transparency or the, the aggressiveness you have to take to enlarge the category doesn't always help you. I mean, there are a lot of people that, you know, the, but if you're going to, if you're a leader, the only way you get better is if the thing gets bigger and better. And you're the only person who can really make it bigger and better. So 
that's kind of what happened with the collectible thing. I'm not, I'm not complaining about any stress. I do very well. I've made a lot of money and I'm very grateful for all the relationships. It's epic, frankly. I, I look back on it and I almost cried to think about the people that, that, that I've touched and the relationships I've made with teams that as a kid, I never even thought I'd have money to have enough ticket to buy a ticket to the game, let alone being on the field with these players. So it was great. Um, and now I'm, I'm, I'm like more in a mindset of serving all these people that have all these collectibles that I put out there. And I want to go into the books of selling, being the guy who sold something twice. I've sold more <laughs> things twice. Um, well, and, and, but, but you know, there's a lot of people that have a lot of stuff, especially baby boomers, and they don't know what to do with it, including me, by the way, because my wife was like, get this stuff out of the house. <laughs> and I'm like, I think I need a platform to help do that. That's good. That's a lot more uh so not sophisticated, but safer, helpful than eBay. And, uh, you know, there is no 1A to eBay. So I'm, I'm taking that on, that responsibility. It's a little more work than I thought it was going to be, but it's been really fun. Oh, that's great. You know, now you, you took this $4,000 investment and you turned it into a, you sold that company, uh, Steiner Sports, right? Sports yeah. agency for $35 million? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, that's pretty good. Okay, so yeah, the four thousand was, was painful, man, because after I bought the Mac, I think it was a Mac. You know, those like what's what's the, the Mac Plus? You know that Mac? It was really cool because I had a, I mean, you know, that was like thirty two hundred. Then the the printer was like three hundred. I didn't have a whole lot of cash flow after that. It's funny how like when your back's against the wall, when you don't have a lot, how much more you get out of what you have than sometimes by having too much. So sometimes I know four thousand sounds like a little. Oh, it is. But, and I look back on it, I mean, Brandon, you know, I, I, I want to smack myself because of my brand. You, you could have raised a few more dollars. You could have given yourself <laughs> a little room. But it's amazing how when you really are working tight, how oh, we know diligent that. you are with what you got. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we know that. So you took that money. You, you, so you, you sold that business. But during your development of that business, you came up with this idea, I guess, Yankee Stadium was for sale, right? To demolish it or that that ground, they were going to build a new stadium. What happened with that? I mean, you took that and you took the parts and pieces from it and started selling them, right? Well, I think, let's, well, first of all, your first idea is never your best idea. So right. I spent, you know, I sold the company to a big conglomerate and I had now at this point now, you know, that 4,000 bucks, I mean, you know, I'm calling up, I need a million, I need 250. It was unbelievable. Like we're writing POs for like six figures, like, you know, like you eat chicken wings on a Friday night, watching, a, you know, watching a couple games. But so, you know, it's all relative. So I, I, when I'm doing the, I, I did this deal with the Yankees and formed the first partnership where I was going to go and help them uh, sell off their assets, you know, seats, um, bats, balls, bases. I come up with this idea because when I was a kid, I was like, man, I would do anything to get a ball, you know, anything to just get a ball or anything to get a base or maybe, you know, something that dug out, whatever. So I, I went to the Yankees and talked them into, you know, basically partnering with me um, and selling all that stuff. So after two years of negotiating this deal, and it really did change a lot of the industry because I knew I needed to get the teams to get behind collectibles. So, the, and, and the Yankees, they're the best brand, and why not start with the best? I mean, there's no sense in starting on the bottom floor. Why not just go right to the top? Right. right. I mean, like, I mean, like with the Mets, like, if you're you don't trying want to start with the Mets. If you're trying to make a sale, there's no reason to call the receptionist <laughs> to see if you can get through. 
go right. to the CEO, <laughs> chairman of the company, and two out of three things good can happen. They'll say, yes, I'm interested. They'll send you to someone else. And then now the important person sent me, they're not going to blow you off. Or three, they go, I'm not interested. That's still 66% chance that something good's going to happen. So anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm closing this deal after a year and a half. The legal document, it was 200 grand legal fees to do this deal. It was very complicated. And the last thing I say to Randy Levine and Lon Trost, president and CEO of the Yankees is, by the way, if you guys ever move into a new stadium, and I'm not saying you're going to, I got to take down this old one. And they agreed to that. So when that did happen a few years later, uh, they gave me that opportunity. They parted up with me. I, you know, it's so great to partner with the Yankees. I mean, a great brand and a great opportunity they gave me because they didn't need me. But I always think, you know, value is what you could do for someone they can't do for themselves. And I got to the Yankees and we, together we had put a really good authentication system into place to really make sure their fans were safe in these collectibles that they were buying a lot of big names. And then sure enough, when the stadium came up, I mean, it was, that, that's the balls. I would say, you know, my mother's favorite line was, you got to have balls. Like this was my second book I wrote. And this is a lot of, and, and that was 18 and a half million, by the way, to, to go take that little soiree down, have that little party. I knew it was going to take me several years to do it. And that's the balls that my mother always wanted me to have, you know, never think small, always play big and, and don't, 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 don't have that. So you go all the way. And taking that stadium apart was a lot of people would look at just selling the main assets. To me, I was like, I got to make sure every Yankee fan can get something, a little bit of dirt, a piece of the uh, foul ball. We cut that up into thousands of pieces, the blackout in the outfield. I partnered with Reggie Jackson, the grass, as we mentioned, the dugout, we cut that up. The, the carpet in the locker rooms, we made doormats out of it and car mats out of it. We sold the lockers, obviously. We sold the speakers around the stadium and had the announcers sign. I, mean, I can go on and on. And there's wow. a lot of sleepless nights here, you know, that you think yeah. of these crazy things. But it was fun. I knew that was a special stadium. You know, I've taken apart Texas Stadium, Massive Square Garden, um, um, Nassau Coliseum, Giant Stadium. I've done a whole bunch of stadiums. I'm like the white man's version of Sanford and Son. That's how I look at it. Like, <laughs> you know, I just go around and take everybody's junk and, and create value out of it. Yeah. Dano, 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 Dano. Great show. Huh? Yeah. So you've written several books. Okay. And, and one of them is uh, a vision on y y living on purpose. Right. And Derek Jeter wrote, it takes tremendous confidence and vision to start your own business and great leadership and execution to build it from uh, a market leader. That's what Brandon has done. Derek Jeter writing about your book. I mean, how great is that? You got Magic Johnson, you got Yogi Berra. All these people are writing about you, about your book. What's ironic, first of all, Derek Jeter is, only, is not given anyone else other than me a testimony on a book, which he reminded me of a hundred times. But he did give me a testimony on all three of my books. Right. And, you know, Derek saw the whole thing evolve in front of him as a bunch of players did. It was, you know, and, and that's what's been amazing is, you know, I don't know how Heinz ketchup got evolved. I know it's a great brand or Ford Motors. So a lot of people saw me develop this industry and brand in front of their eyes and you would scratch your head. But what's ironic is that, first of all, I'm illiterate. I, I mean, I, you know, I'm half illiterate. Like for me to write three books is such, you know, if you talk to my, the kids that grew up and were in my classes, they're like, 
they were like betting when I'd live past 29, let alone, you know, graduate from college and go, you know, write three books, let alone 2,500 blogs and speak. I had a speech impediment. You know, it's funny. I was supposed to go to the speech pathologist. I come home one day, I said, Mom, I'm not going anymore. I'm done. I can't take it. She's like, really? Well, you, 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 the way you're talking, you talk like there's no way you're ever going to get anywhere running a company or anything else speaking the way you speak. So one day she picked me up from school. Only one day in my entire life. Ever. My mother was waiting outside the gate. I said, where are we going? Go for a little drive. Uh-oh. She pulls up behind a sanitation truck. This says, I want you to, uh, Joe, who's driving the truck, can you take my son into your truck? This is a career he's interested in. He wants to one day maybe be a sanitational engineer, and maybe one day he can drive a truck. You give him all the benefits. And, you know, he goes through the whole thing about being a garbage man and the, the hours he works and everything. I go, all right, I'm going back to the <laughs> And I tell you that story and how it relates is that I think sometimes parenting, as well as when I speak and teach, I don't tell people what to do. I show people what I did and what I'm doing to improve. Because there's no better example than I'm still a work in progress on every level from my marriage to being a dad to being a, I've managed my employees much differently today than I did 10 years ago and 20 years ago and constantly evolving because, you know, I'm not one of these, well, I'm old school. This is how I do it. I don't believe in that. So, and, you know, listen, the fact to write written three books and I had 760 in my SATs, that was combined. I mean, almost a zero on my English. Like, you know, you, you, you get, you know, you get that much, like, but, you know, I just, the obstacles are, to me, are my advantage, and, and I've always used it that way. Um, and I've been, you know, very fortunate to um, be able to serve and also be fearless in doing so. You know, be, give people what they really want and not be afraid to check it out. And I, and I was just talking about this today. It's like, I think the, the, the key to, to my business success is not really worried about having the most amount of customers, but having the most amount of fans. I'm only, I, I just, I want, I want people to be, I, I will go to the end of the earth for one customer and hoping that there'll be a fan of mine because fan, fandom will, will lead, you know, for reoccurring revenue and they stay with you for life. And uh, I feel and like that's my greatest accomplishment. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, you're kind of like the, the uh, uh, archetype of the menopause man that we're trying to set up. <laughs> and that is somebody who kind of continues to pursue their passion, no matter what the age is. And a lot of people retire from, you know, being a garbage man or accountant or doctor or whatever. And unless they have something, some passion that gets them out of bed every morning, they generally have a miserable retirement until they die. So we're trying to convince people, you know, follow, follow your passion when you're done with whatever you had to do to make a living and feed your family and stuff like that. And, and so here you are, you're just reinventing yourself, coming up with different ideas and different ways to make money and stay. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta stop you for a second. This passion <laughs> shit, like, here's the thing. First of all, I didn't, I didn't do what I'm doing so that one day I didn't have to do it. So right. the one thing that upsets me the most, and, and it really pisses me off when I come home and, my kids haven't been home. You know, they live in different parts of the country. And like, Dad, when are you retiring? Right. I mean, seriously, like, when am I, when, when am I dying? What, what else do you want to ask me? <laughs> right. I'm like, we're all dying. At some point, I'm going to retire along the same along the way. But 
here's the thing about the passion thing. And I just got to cool you off on the passion thing a little bit. <laughs> what I tell people is that there is no one that's more curious than me. I'm not that smart. I'm not. You're going to have a lot smarter guests on your show. And I'm sure you already have. But you're not going to find somebody more curious. And for those people out there that, that can't figure out what that passion button is, it's okay. I, I, didn't, I don't always know what my passion button is, but I'm curious. And I'm not afraid to go play in traffic. I'm not afraid to cross the street when I don't have the light. I'm not afraid to, to do some things. And I, I think that's what I really try to push when I speak and push even on this conversation now is don't get too caught up in the passion and the purpose. It puts a lot of pressure on you if you're not feeling this incredible mot motivation or move to do something. But try something. Be curious so, about something. You'd be surprised where that curiosity. Will well, yeah. and those, you know, yeah. those are sometimes synonymous in the sense that if you're curious about something, it has sparked an interest in you in some way that you you want to learn more, you want to see more, you want to experience more. I mean, that's passion. I'm not talking about oh, my passion is violin playing. Right. Curiosity enables you to bounce around. Exactly. And if you have this passion and then you fail and then you but yeah. when you're curious, you're just bouncing around. You, you yeah. Know, bing, 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 bing. Nobody's holding you too accountable for it. But all of a sudden, you're like, whoa, I like this. Yeah. This is really cool. Now, all of a sudden, well, maybe that takes you back. And maybe now, all of a sudden, you find some passion. But it does take a lot of pressure off you, which is really the yeah. thought. When I go around, it's like, find your passion. Go after it. Like, some people aren't feeling it. I'm yeah. like, that's cool. Yeah. Turn up the volume on your curiosity. Be curious. Dive into some stuff that doesn't feel comfortable. Go so here's, here's something curious that hopefully doesn't get you too angry. Um, the world of NFTs. How do you feel about that? I like them. You know, I like Ooh. NFTs. What I don't like is, is when people try to pull the wool over people's eyes and when they try to get uh, the quick buck. And that's what we saw in NFTs. We saw people trying to take advantage, to self-promote to try to get people to buy into stuff that was very scamming, scheming, that wasn't real, you know, buying, you know, pictures of monkeys and, you know, stuff like that. Well, but even, even in your, even in your business, um, yeah. you know, we, we have an example, we won't say how we heard the example, but for instance, there was a picture of Michael Jordan that he was going up and, and about ready to dunk, right? A very famous picture. Yep. And what they did is they took that picture and they made an NFT a one of one, one of 10, one of 100, one of 1,000, one of 10,000, right? And, and allegedly, it's based on market desire for that picture, right? But you don't get the picture. See, what you're doing is you're selling me something that I can hold and look at and smell and touch, right? So and NFT the is nothing like that. Well, I think it could be. I, I think the trackability of it all, which adds to authentication... Well, no, no, I'm not yet. And I'm not so even talking about an example of an, here's, here's my idea of an NFT. And I'm not jumping in the NFT thing yet, so I'm not here to sell anything. Yeah, yeah. But you take Aaron Judge. Are you familiar? You know, yeah. You know, mm -hmm. yeah. Now, you know, 20 years from now, there'll be millions of people that say they're at that game when he hit the, the home run. But we only know there was only 48,000. However, what I could see is now they don't have ticket stubs. So what I could see is uh, 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 a series of some ticket stubs that are NFT that showed you were at that game. That's an NFT. 
if you were really at that game. Now you've got a limited edition of the fact that you actually at this game. And then you have a series of some of those that are actually hand signed. So you have this digital thing that says you're at the game. And then you have right. a physical thing that you get as well in the mail. And then a limited amount of those are signed by Aaron Judge. And then maybe the creme de la creme that gets auctioned off is the original art to that ticket, right? And the ball that is the 60-second home run. That's auctioned off, but it's also an NFT. Right. I see that. And that NFT, by the way, is like 25 bucks. That makes sense. You know what I mean? Like, I get that. Hey, hey, mofo, look what I got. I was at the judge game. You had to be there to get this NFT. Right. And I can prove it. And by the way, I went for a few extra bucks. I had Aaron Judge sign it. I tried bidding on the real, the ball, and the, the I couldn't get that. Right. All right, I'm down on that. So, like, I think there's room for these NFTs for experiential purposes when something great is happening. Yes, in my mind, or a really cool thing like the Jordan thing. You got the photo. If you don't have the photo, like, what's the point? I could just well, go online, exactly. find that photo, take and a print it out. Exactly. Print it out. Well, and then after they did that, and they're like, "Oh, there's yeah. going to be a big demand for this." Then what they did is they just changed the color of his sneakers on the picture and reissued it. And it's like, well, you know, first of all, you got to make sure there's a market for that picture. Uh, And they weren't cheap. They weren't 25 bucks either. So what you're talking about makes a lot more sense for an NFT uh, release than some of this other crap that's out there. Well, common common sense is not always common practice. And when I look at some, of these new schemes, it's, it infuriates me because it's exciting when it's happening, but then when the, the business takes the hit. As a leader in the industry, I'm always thinking, how do we make this industry better, bigger? I look at the trading card business where people are spending enormous amounts of money on these trading cards that I knew was going to be a complete bust. And then everybody's pumping it up, pump it up, pump it up. And then all, I'm like, no, 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 no. Then the grading card companies get in there, they're pumping it up. Then the players want a lot more money to sign these cards. They're pumping up. And, and now people are losing thousands of dollars on these cards. And then people say, yeah, that like, little thing. You know, I just want the whole thing to be a good, positive thing. People don't mind losing a little. You make a little. Sometimes you make a lot. But what I don't want to see is no reason for people to lose a lot. Right. It's a right. fun right. industry. It's a fun business. So I've always been straightforward about it. I don't need a get-rich-quick uh, scheme. I remember when I was younger, my friend, we, we, he wanted to go buy lottery tickets. It was like in the uh, mid-70s when lottery got invented. It was a scheme that you can buy a lottery ticket and win a million dollars. It was outrageous to me. And my friend goes to the store and he's like, I'm, I'm buying lottery tickets. Are you buying any? I'm like, no, I'm not buying any. He goes, because I didn't have any money. I was broke. So I'm like, I don't do <laughs> he says, listen, I'll, I'll pay for your lottery tickets. Let me buy you a couple. I said, don't buy me any. I, I'm buying you. I said, do not buy me any lottery tickets. So he comes out of the store and he scratches off and realizes he lost. And he turns because I was paying for your lottery tickets. Why don't you want me to buy it? I said, because I don't want to win. I don't want to win. I don't want to play lottery. I don't want to be the guy that that's how I became successful. That's how I obtained some wealth. And I was poor as all hell. I was dirt poor. But I, that's not how I want to win. Like, I don't want to win because I've scammed somebody on some NFTs. And that's why I have a lot of money in my bank account. I want to have a lot of money in my bank because I've served people and I solved the problem for people or I gave them something they get tremendous joy out of. The best thing that happens in my day is when I get an email from someone that says, you know, Brian, I've been collecting all your stuff for years. I would only buy from you. You gave me a lot of joy. Thank you. My me, kids and I, we love this stuff. Our rooms are all decorated. I'm cool. I, that, that's what gives me joy. You know what I mean? And, and, and 
when you do great work, there's always room to do great work. The money will follow. So it at follows. the beginning, what at at the beginning when I uh, introduced you, uh, we talked about sixty million dollars worth of dirt. Now that is so interesting on your on some of the videos on your website. I mean, look at that. You've got dirt from that's Yankee Stadium, right? That's Which Yankee Stadium. This is actually the dirt that Mariano carried out at the end. You know, he pitched the final pitch. I sent out these, you gotta have ball pads which have Yankee Stadium dirt in there. Uh, here's one from the Mets, you know, just to give you an idea. We have a whole Wait, lineup. You came up with these, you put in your little yeah. glass, plexiglass yeah. boxes that hold the baseball. You put dirt there, then you put the little stand, then you put the ball on, and then you put a card behind there, and then you make them even bigger. It is so brilliant that whoever, I mean, you you obviously thought of it, but whoever would buy that, I, that's a real treat. That's well, here's the thing. Treat. Here's the thing. Um, first of all, you probably watch the TED Talk. If you're out there, you want to really see about your first yeah. idea, not being your best idea. Watch my TED Talk, Syracuse. It's a great TED Talk. But, you know, what's funny is I'm grinding away, and the economy was bad at this time. I think it was around 2006, seven when everything went to shit, you know, from the recession and the real estate. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, like, I got to get the 50 million. I don't even know why, but I'm like, and like, I don't know what the hell to sell people because everybody's feeling kind of poor. And so I, 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 Brian Cashman was a good friend. He always helped me with all my Yankee problems. And he's a general manager of a really big team. Like, the last thing he needs to be doing is worrying about what I'm doing with some game used balls and bats. But he always took an interest to help me. So I had my graphic designer create a poster with a bunch of stadiums on there. And then I finally said to him, I said, that looks pretty cool, but why don't we take a little capsule of dirt? So we went downstairs. We had these buckets of dirt from every stadium. We put the capsules of dirt next to the pictures. And remember that not all dirt is created equal. The viscosity, the color, you know, all this dirt from all the stadiums are kind of unique. So it was kind of cool. So I sent him the poster with all these capsules of dirt around it. I said, Brian, I, want, I made up this poster with all the pictures of all the different stadiums around the major leagues. And also it comes with, now you have a little dirt on every team in your office as well. And he just loved that. And that was the beginning of me selling $500 items. The posters, which is just a poster with 32 capsules of dirt sold for $4.99. Wow. And that's how, and I tell people, it's like, I know it sounds corny, but first of all, your first idea is not your best idea because I probably had about a hundred skews of dirt, dirt pens, dirt clocks, dirt this, dirt that. And then I think sometimes gratitude, being grateful, taking time to be grateful sometimes can lead you to more, to mm. more success, to something better. So here I am just thanking Brian Cashman, and he gives me the million-dollar idea without even, you know, I mean, that was the idea that got me to 50, 60 million because I'm selling $500 posters that are going out of style, which was just a poster with 32 capsules of dirt. Don't get me started on the margin. Um, <laughs> well, don't know, say it because some dream. of those people yeah. might be listening. So she don't don't. Thirty-two gallons of dirt and a piece of paper that you're printing on. Yeah, yeah, for five hundred yeah. bucks. We can so figure that good. out. So, yeah. but, so, but we, uh, you know, really, this has been really interesting. Uh, the final question for you is. What now? What What are you doing now uh, to kind of you know, continue marketing and come up with new ideas. What's, what's the latest with you? 
I mean, you know, I'm toying around with another book, and I don't want to. Hopefully, my wife's not going to be watching this. But um, <laughs> I'm trying to stay married. I've been married for 35 years, which I'm not sure. What's her email address? Her. We'll make sure we send the. Uh... <laughs> you know, but you always say behind every great man is a mother-in-law asking, "What in God's name did I? Did, what, what did my daughter do?" <laughs> and that was the case with my mother-in-law. <laughs> All kidding aside, though, um, you know what's you know you know I'm, I'm having some fun again. You know why I'm working with young kids. Um, I'm working with NIL. I'm working with some college kids, which mm -hmm. I think the whole college situation was a complete debacle. We're not going to ever see college sports the way we are, but it's a great opportunity to work with a lot of young men and show them and teach them how to build a brand, how to make money right from the beginning. Good. I wish I could have taken some of the athletes that I had back in the day and got to them in the minor leagues and in college. Um, but there's a great opportunity for me to do that. I'm enjoying that. I'm, I'm coaching. I'm doing a bunch of uh, speaking around the country, which I really didn't do enough of that. Now I enjoy going out and talking to all these different businesses and companies. And you know what's crazy is, I mean, it's humbling, but like I, I started this new company, Collectible Exchange, literally with not a lot of money, not a little more than 4,000, by the way, but <laughs> I'm doing everything literally the same way I did it back in the early 90s. The same approach, not overspending, being very nimble, not getting ahead of myself, um, keeping my head on a pivot, not getting stuck, which is such an important for entrepreneurs out there, is even though you have a good idea, you know, execution beats strategy for breakfast. Oh, like, yeah. remember you know is your is your is your idea executable and if it's not it's okay to pivot and if you get too big and ahead of yourself it's almost embarrassing or you're too stuck to pivot so uh, what's what's next is you know building this company up again a new company with a small staff of like nine or ten employees uh, i'm learning the tech part of it all which people say us old people can't learn the tech thing i'm i'm becoming a tech guy you figured so, out the phone figured out how to do your phone there so you know it's like it's one step at a time baby and listen i always say you don't need to know everything just right. keep your curious button going and also know where to go get the help i keep a lot of young ones around me i reverse mentor mm -hmm. I, as much as i mentor <laughs> coach kids i yeah. keep the kids mentoring me i spend a lot of time with young kids asking them show me the app show me all the things and if you go on my social media you'll see it i mean i'm very active I'm not afraid. I, I know how it works and how the algorithms work and how to post. And I have a lot of fun doing so. And, and, and so I've been able to keep in touch with a lot of people. So, you know, I think the goal is like at this point in my career is to make sure I'm not doing stuff that I'm not having fun doing stuff with people. I don't really want to do stuff with. That's the stuff that I'm really grateful to be in this position where if somebody's you know, being a jerk or that I don't have to deal with that. You know, when I wake up in the morning, I'm making sure I'm doing business with the people I want to be doing business and doing the things I want to be doing, yep. which hopefully will add to good quality work. And I'm not getting stuck on, you know, the first idea is not my best idea. It's uh, dream big, sample small, and fail quick. And I'm not afraid to fail. I'm not afraid to even move on. Yeah. Some, of my ideas, some of my best ideas, even with this company, have gone to shit. And uh, some of the ideas I wasn't even sure about have been my best ideas. So, you know, who knows? So All what's right. what's your website that people can go to? Collectible what? Uh, collectible exchange with one E or you go to athletedirect.com. That's where the athletes sell directly to you, which is cool. the other part of the sister part of the site or collectibleexchange.com. If you go to collectibleexchange.com and you're interested in one of my books and there are a lot of pictures in there for those of you who don't read a lot, 
Um, I made sure to put a lot of pictures in there. You get the book for free, just pay for the shipping. I, I think that's special. Always the beginning of the year, say, hey, if you want to go, you got to grow. And I would say, you know, you know, leader, readers are leaders. And, and so the book's free. Um, I, I would always do that for all my customers. So go on the site, pick up the book for free if you want. Um, love talking with you guys. And I love this stuff. You know, I love. It's great. You know, I, I love just, you know, being able to share a little bit. I always say, you know, how you get to the wow. You know, how, what are some of the processes? And I will say that I'm trying to have as much fun as I can, but there are painful days, you know, when I'm really trying really hard and I'm not sure I see the light. Yeah, but we've I'm, all been there. I'm going to work through yep. it. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. Well, keep up the good work. This yeah, has been really cool. I think you're going to be an inspiration to help people find their passion uh, in well, life. Curiosity. And- <laughs> curiosity and yeah. um it's a and, different approach i mean it's different i mean i'm all about the passion but i think that sometimes i feel bad that that you know somebody looks at me and they're like you know i don't know i can't find my passion i'm not right, sure what i want right. to do look around look around yeah, take, just right. take action over ever just take action over anxiety don't get yourself right. all crazy because you have to figure out what to do the rest of your life go out there and play in traffic go well and hopefully something. hopefully uh you know there's a lot of us at our age that are interested in certain memorabilia and collectibles and stuff and now people know after seeing you this is a trustworthy guy well, you know you. you don't have to worry when you go there and buy it you know it's real you know it's certified and you're not going to get screwed so uh yep. thanks so much for doing this we really appreciate it and uh you know hopefully we can talk again soon when you've made another 60 million dollars I thought you guys invited me to come to San Diego and stay at your house, no? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, anytime. Yeah. Uh, anytime. And more than welcome. Yeah. You guys are living the good life, man. And I'm happy for you, man. It's so beautiful out there. And, and uh, I'm jealous. Though. So hopefully I'll make it out there and see you guys. We'll have a little lunch. All right. All right. All right. Thanks so much, Brandon. We appreciate it. it.